Hey creatives, you're listening to The Truth is Golden, a podcast produced by Revelator Studio and hosted by yours truly. My name is Arno, welcome to this episode. It is a show about creative minds, what makes them tick, their successes, failures, and everything in between. It is for people who are interested to learn more about creativity and its potential to make the world a better place. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at revelator underscore TO or on our website at rvltr.studio. Well, hello there. I bet you didn't realize you were about to listen to a little piece of history. That's right. History in the making is going down right now in your ears. This is the first ever podcast with me. Liam Gatsby, a.k.a. Fat Man Fit, a.k.a. Lullaby Lumberjack. Oh, yes, this is a monumental moment in the annals of history. And you are about to experience it. So I hope you enjoy it. And like I said, it's the first podcast I've ever done. So it may suck or it may be unbelievable. But you can say you were there. I listened to the first ever podcast Liam Gatsby was ever involved with. How do you feel? Hmm, feel warm and fuzzy inside, I bet. I know I do. Well, enough of me. Press play and away you go. Talk soon. So we're here today talking to Liam Gatsby, comedian. Thanks, Liam, for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you so much for having me. This is my absolute and utter number one first podcast before the explosion of Fat Man Fit. So we'll talk about so that. Congratulations in, to you. Yeah, I hope so that you make it really big. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But right. can you start by telling us who, who you are and what you do? Mm, um, I am a, uh, a comic. Uh, I'm a creative, very creative person. I'm always trying to create something new and fresh. Um, But I'm working on something now that uh, we will be pitching to hopefully Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whoever wants to listen, whoever wants to give me the money to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I primarily I'm a funny person, um, as I've been told. Uh, I do a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, I have not been doing stand-up comedy as of late because I've been working on this show idea called Fat Man Fit. I am a, uh, a big fellow. I weigh 373 pounds. I'm six foot four. So uh, there's a, a, a possible visual for you. Um, but I carry my weight well, I've been told. Um, I'm an extremely handsome person. So I just want to let everybody know that. Uh, you um, do. And that yeah. voice, too. Yeah, sexy voice, too. You know what I'm saying? So can you tell us a little bit what you were like as a kid? Um, I was a uh, <clears throat> extremely... Well, I... People ask me how long I've been doing stand-up comedy for, and uh, I have been doing stand-up comedy since grade one. And people say, well, how's that possible? And I said, well, um, it's possible because I've been making people laugh since I was in grade one and being get and getting sent to the, uh, the uh, principal's office uh, to boot. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, so as a child, I was extremely curious. I, was, uh, I always loved going places by myself. Um, uh, I was never afraid to go into somewhere, talk to anybody, do anything. Um, I, yeah, it, uh, it got me into a lot of places when I was young. So how did you find out that you were funny? 
I guess you just get told. You're like, oh my God, you're so funny, Liam. <laughs> you're so funny. And you just get told uh, enough times. You start believing it. Uh, just to, um, the, 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 the wrath of the math, if you will. If you get told something enough, you'll uh, start to believe it. So. Mm -hmm. And so... It's like Brad Pitt if he gets told uh, he's he's beautiful. I mean, he pretty well knows he's beautiful. Um, I think he knows that he's Brad Pitt. Brad so, Pitt knows he's Brad Pitt. Was there? You said you started making people laugh in grade one. Was there like a, a pivotal moment? Something you said? Something that happened? I, I don't think I could pinpoint any pivotal moment. But uh, I think when I failed grade one, like who fails grade one? <laughs> Come on, man. Um, and my mom, funny enough, so my mom always says she's she's like you failed grade one because. Uh, um, You showed the teacher up, um, mm. and uh, yeah, I think I think that's also when I started kind of uh, <clears throat> second guessing adults. Um, that you know, adults weren't all they were cracked up to be. Um, they could make mistakes just like you could make mistakes. Um, uh, they also know a lot more than you do, obviously, but uh, still, they're not. Uh, you know, they're not free of mistakes. So in this podcast and in past interviews, there's been a kind of a recurring theme of. Um, all those creative people that have been interviewed. And what I found is that they remain creative in spite of going through 12 years of schooling. Um, how did you manage to not get your creativity sucked out of you by uh, school and teachers who wanted you to be something you were not? Um, I, 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 it was just too powerful, my creativity. It's what gave me, uh, gave me uh, my life. What gives me my life now i i just uh and and you see it uh showing itself everywhere in my life if you walk into my apartment um i can say uh, i made that mirror uh i painted that chair mm -hmm. um you know you saw the scooter i came here on today um which is a um a chrome gold leopard printed louis vuitton seat motorized scooter by yamaha but i did all the wrapping and all the uh, louis vuitton so i mean it it's it shows itself in my life uh mm -hmm. everywhere uh from my shirts that i make uh i love making shirts with Your which track suits my track suits uh yeah it's really it doesn't i mean the way i interact with people um is uh very creative um very social and uh yeah um you can't you can't you can't you can't hold that down mm -hmm. it's like the incredible hulk So where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, the Niagara region in Ontario, um, wine region. When I was growing up there, I think there was two or three winemakers. Now there's five billion of them. But the sad thing is that all the, uh, all the uh, on a side note, all the uh, delicious pitted fruits are disappearing. So peaches and all that, because everybody wants to tear them all out and make uh, shitty wine. So, um, but yeah, that's where I grew up. I grew up in a place called Niagara on the Lake. Mm -hmm. um, and St. Catharines. Um, so, uh, yeah, I went to multiple schools. Had that environment had uh, any influence on you? I don't think so. No, not particularly. Um, I think my father had a huge influence on me. Uh, my father was a very, uh, uh, my father was a detective in Scotland Yard. Um, and uh, he also loved to act. And uh, he was always the life of the party. Uh, he, had, he, he had a, a he had a like a, a plethora of uh, costumes, you know, things that he would like. If he was going sailing on a boat, he would come as a captain with some old navy outfit on, uh, mm -hmm. and so basically, I I take that from him. Uh, I need to be, you know, 
the center of attention. Um, and I don't mean it like that. I just, I just love to, I, I love being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. possibly making other people feel uncomfortable. Um, because if you see me riding down the street on my scooter, I look like a circus bear on my scooter. I've been witness to that. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I get, I get a lot of enjoyment and the biggest enjoyment I get out of that is the negative reaction when people laugh and mm -hmm. snicker. I love that. That's mm -hmm. what I, 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 I mean, I, I certainly love when people go, Oh my God, your scooter is so amazing. You're amazing. I love it. I obviously love that the most, but it's the people that are like, look at this idiot. I'm like, Oh yes. I bathe in that. So how do you get to the point, like mentally speaking, Because I've done some of that stuff in the past, like rarely, but I've been known to like go around on the street wearing nothing but a bathrobe and a, and a shower cap, yeah. um, which is a bit of a shameful past that I don't like to reveal too All much. Right. But we won't, um, we won't talk. We want to bring out that? Uh, no, it was fun. I mean, I did it in all good fun. Yeah, but yeah. how do you get to the point where you don't give a fuck about people's reaction? Like, have, where does that come from? Because if You're like I me. Think it, I think it goes back to when I was saying earlier about uh, about. I think I I I learned or I I got an idea that you know uh, adults weren't all they were cracked up to be, and I and I and I I guess I got it from that. But I just didn't give a fuck. I'm like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm supposed to give a fuck apparently, but I don't. And uh, I think that comes from my teachers and and the 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 kind of the idea that they were all knowing and they weren't mm -hmm. and uh and people's um people love to weigh in on things and give you their opinion and uh like the video that that i just showed you for this teaser for fat man fit which um, we'll be linking with the interviews so yeah people, get people a chance to see it. love to give their opinion people love opinions I, i'm not a big fan of opinions i i try to bite my tongue when my mouth is opening to give an opinion uh what i really like i really really like is ideas I'll take an idea over an opinion any day. So, yeah. So when you say, I'll take an idea over an opinion, can you give us an example? Like, um, how does that... Well, just an idea of, 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 of what could be done, what, 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 uh, what can be done, um, rather than, I would have done it this way. Well, or, or you yeah, suck. Yeah, yeah, or you suck. Well, I don't know. I didn't really like it. It, was, it wasn't funny. I'm like, well, okay. Mm -hmm. It's like when people come in and see me do stand-up comedy and, and, I, and I, 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 I read a review that said, oh, yeah, he wasn't really that funny. And it's like, well, you know what? If there was 100 people in that room and we talked to all 100 of them, got them to give their honest opinion, and 75 said that guy was super funny while I was doing what I was doing up there for them. Mm -hmm. And then the 13 people that came on a date – um, who really didn't want to be there at all, didn't care if I was funny or not funny, uh, well, you know, their opinion doesn't count either. And then, of course, the people that didn't like me, their opinion doesn't count either because I didn't do it for you, right? Mm -hmm. Quite simply. And, um, yeah. And, and I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I've listened to a ton of stand-up in my day, and it's something I have a passing interest in. Doesn't stand-up require um, a really <sighs> high level of not giving a fuck and just being able to put yourself out there day in and day out and just get better and get better and get better. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You can't, uh, you can't, you can't, I just cannot be concerned with people's opinion about you, especially as a stand-up comic, um, maybe as a architect or something, but as a comic, it's like, you just can't, you can't give a fuck. It, it is a bit sad now that, uh, a lot of politically correct, um, people are weighing in on comedy, um, forgetting, First and foremost, the comedy is 
comedy. It's jokes. It's just a joke. Um, but people feel they can just forego that. You know, so, no, yeah, no, no. It's it, it, it's you, no, it's not a joke. It's it's real. So when, they, when was the last time you did stand up? Uh, probably about two weeks ago. Okay, yeah. so you're still doing it from time oh, to time. Oh, right? yeah, you always have to get up there and, and, and do it. Um, and how long have you been doing stand-up? Like actually physically getting on stage in front of a microphone on and off since I was, I don't know, 15 or 16. Yeah, I so. remember the. I remember one night I had come up to uh, Toronto from Niagara and I had gone to do an amateur night at a place called Yuck Yucks, which is um, uh, Canadian stand-up comedy, a chain mm -hmm. um, uh, that I, I don't know how many there are left in Canada, um, maybe 15, Calgary, Vancouver, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd come up to Toronto to do one uh, pro-am night, which was a Monday night. You would call in, you'd you'd say, listen, I'd like to do comedy on Monday night, and somebody would listen to the messages and pick randomly who got to come up. Of course, it wasn't random. It never was random. They, If they liked you, you got to go up. <clears throat> um, they liked me because I was young, and uh, they were impressed that I was you know, wanting to get up there so young. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I remember one night I got up there, and uh, I did my thing, and then when I got off stage, Jim Carrey came up. And uh, obviously Jim Carrey wasn't Jim Carrey at that point in time, but he was he was a he was a, an established Canadian comic at that point in mm -hmm. time. So yeah, probably since I was sixteen is when I've been doing comedy. Yeah. So how? But there was long stretches there. I didn't do anything. I was a camera guy for yeah. You know, but it's been years, right? You've had a long experience. So yeah. How? But I think you're doing stand-up comedy. Person like me, and and I I I can't really speak for every comic, but I mean I've spoken to a lot of comics. I think they're kind of doing comedy all the time, man. You know, I work with uh, I work with a guy now, and uh, he's uh, he's a comic as well, and uh, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's always got something funny coming out of his mouth, or what he perceives to be funny, and uh, sometimes not funny. So, yeah. So, what I wanted to get to um, is because you've been doing comedy for so long, and you were talking earlier about how people take jokes too seriously, literally, literally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty sad. Actually. How has that changed since you started doing comedy? What what changes have you seen in? Uh... I mean, the, uh, it doesn't really doesn't really affect me because my I don't really I don't really I don't really push a lot of buttons. I mean, my comedy. I mean, I do swear a lot, um, but I don't really get into a lot of political stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I don't really I don't push too many of those buttons where people want to come after me and, and say that joke was offside, that joke was you know, I don't I don't I don't get into that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my observations are just about humans and people and the silly things they do and the silly things I do and uh um flatulating and, and uh what have you. So um So is there a side of your comedy that's you trying to experience crazy shit so you can talk about it on your comedy? Uh, no, I don't really go out and, and, and seek craziness uh, so I can speak of it. Um, I think craziness just kind of is can happen anywhere, any anytime. It doesn't you don't really need to, to search it out. There's always craziness happening. Um, crazy people and their opinions, crazy people and their clothes. Mm-hmm. Crazy people in their lifestyles, you know. Um, yeah, there's craziness all over the place. There's comedy everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's comedy. So, I'm sure there is. So, you said you you were starting being funny as a kid in school, and at what point did you realize that this could become a career or even a side gig, something you could do your whole life? Like, how did you transition from just being funny to actually getting paid to make people laugh? Um, 
Well, yeah. My father, as I was mentioning earlier, was a detective at Scotland Yard, um, but what he really loved, what his passion was, and uh, was acting. <clears throat> so he did a lot of big productions like South Pacific, Fiddler on the Roof, West Side Story. Um, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the, tele the television that we watched when we grew up um, was always, you know, English, um, you know, comedy like The Two Ronnies, Are You Being Served? Mm -hmm. um, Upstairs, downstairs. Um, so that I, I grew up watching funny, and I I have always wanted to be funny, and always knew that obviously you could make a living at being funny because people are on TV being mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's what their job was. So um, I really I don't think I mean a long long time I've been wanting to do this and uh, and and have been doing it, but obviously <clears throat> I don't know if you you want to get into. Uh, you know, where I, I, I mean, I, I tried to really give comedy a go and I just, uh, I just didn't have the belief in myself. I didn't think I was funny enough to actually make a living at it and, uh, and just left it for a while. And, uh, I was a camera guy, uh, camera person in film for many, many years. Mm -hmm. I worked on, uh, worked on lots of big stuff, X-Files and Jumanji, the original one and, uh, uh, Happy Gilmore with Adam Sandler. Um, I could go on and on. Was that in California? No, that was in Vancouver. And then I moved back to Ontario, back to Toronto and continued on that track. Um, I always went out and did amateur nights, mm -hmm. you know, what they call pro-am nights in Toronto. You have the luxury of having uh, a lot of locations for that. And uh, so you can always get a few minutes here and there. Um, uh, but comedy is, is a full-time like if you're trying to put a set together, uh, an hour and ten minutes um, is the is the the spot you want to be. Um, yeah, you're gonna, you're looking at doing as many shows as you can, two, three shows a night, mm -hmm. not hour shows, just five minutes, three minutes, mm -hmm. ten minutes, because it's the only way that your material locks together. Um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, your current projects, and there's two of them that I'd like to cover. Um, and you mentioned Fat Men Fit at the beginning, so let's start with that. Yeah. What is it, and how did that come about? Um, I was at one point in time a, um, you know, a competitive swimmer, a competitive rower. I played hockey. I played soccer. Um, I was a pretty physical fellow and uh i was in a motorcycle accident that uh i broke a lot of bones and uh that kind of uh changed my life's trajectory in regards to physicality and um so i gained a lot of weight uh got pretty depressed with uh my brokenness and um i got fairly heavy i got up to about 440 pounds and um uh, one day i said enough's enough i lost some weight and then i put the weight back on and um and then and one day I came out of a casting for some shitty fucking bleach commercial or whatever. And uh, I said, oh, man, this is casting things, fucking balls. I, 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 should, I should make my own, my own thing, my own vehicle. And mm -hmm. uh, I sat and I scratched my head and I said, well, what, what, what would be interesting? What would people watch? What would they, you know? And I thought, well, I'm fat. I don't want to be fat anymore. Um, I'd like to be, you know, healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, you know, why don't I 
why don't I do something like that? So uh, we started off kind of like as a YouTube thing. Um, There's actually a couple of friends that had mentioned to me that I needed my own thing because of other videos I put up on the uh, on the interweb. Um, they're like, that's you know, the really, really funny stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you need your own show. And that's uh, kind of the birth of Fat Man Fit. I just kind of put me being funny, me being fat, me not wanting to be fat anymore. And uh, so I created this show called Fat Man Fit. And uh, yeah, so we shot a whole bunch of episodes. Um, basically, the whole premise is me going out into the world and seeing how I can get physically fit, mm-hmm. why certain people are healthy in the world, like Sardinians. Uh, you know, a lot of people in Japan are really healthy. Uh, so you're just finding out why those people are healthy, you know, what they're doing um, to maintain that health. Uh, and and machines there's so many uh, gimmicky machines uh, so we kind of we delve into the the, the machines we delve into um we delve into uh, into uh products um like fat freezing so basically he just explores every avenue you can possibly imagine and and, and also does everything from yoga to fencing to high board diving because i was i was actually i took high board diving uh when I was a kid, so you know, it's quite funny to see a heavy guy do a, you know, uh, backflip, a backflip or whatever, you know, some you know swan dive. Um, yeah, so that's that's the birth of Fat Man Fit. And so, have you ever considered um, making it about becoming healthy and not funny? No, everybody takes themselves way too serious, and uh, I think that's you know what makes Fat Man Fit. Uh, interesting what and what's going to make fat man fit successful and uh well if it's anything like the trailer that you just showed me and then i'll be sure to share with the audience yeah. it's it's going to be fucking hilarious all right good 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 i like i like to hear that um so where do you what do you hope to get out of this if it becomes a thing and you actually can put it together and have a show with so there's one aspect of it is you losing weight and getting out to the world and discovering new things and talking to people and being funny at the same time. What would you want your audience to get out of it beyond just mere entertainment? Well, I definitely want to inspire people. I mean, uh, I really am, I am an unhappy person as a, as a fat person. Um, it's, it's just, there's just less for me to do. And so you get my curiosity and you put overweight well you, you can't you can't do and explore all the things that you really really want to do when mm-hmm. a flight of stairs becomes a problem you know mm-hmm. how are you going to be able to climb a mountain uh if you can't climb a set of stairs where you're like where's the elevator there's no elevator on a mountain mm-hmm. um, and i think that's you know that's definitely a big part of the motivation for fat man fit is is just i just can't less is the less doors are open for me in regards to what i want to to do Um, you know, so people are like, Oh, we're going to go for a hike today. And it's like, uh, okay, well I'll meet you for brunch afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of sucks. I want to go yeah. for the hike too and earn my waffles, um, rather than just buy my waffles. Um, so yeah, definitely inspiration is, is, uh, I mean, I'm really fat man fit is just one big inspiration, mm-hmm. big ball of inspiration, you know, but it's wrapped in comedy. And because uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of fitness people take themselves a little too serious, you know. Yeah, and I um, think there's something to be said about um, just putting something out there that has nothing more than a positive message, even yeah. though it's funny and you might laugh at some jokes or yeah. some situations you put yourself in. But I think there'll be some seriousness to it for sure. I mean, because I I battle like addiction is not 
something that you uh, can laugh at. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I laugh at it sometimes, but for the most part, it's, uh, you know, there's just more tears than there is laughter in, in regards to being uh, overweight. Um, uh, it's laborious. Um, you just you're just fighting it all the time, you know, when you put your pants on and they're tight, you put your shirt on, it's tight. Mm -hmm. You know, you're out of breath after four stairs. It's, you know, it's, um, yeah, there's that. It's, you, you, yeah, it's, it's definitely something serious about, uh, about fat man fit. And, and, and certainly we will delve into that. I'm sure there's going to be tears and there's going to be vomit and there's going to be, um, screaming in fat man fit. It's not just going to be all laughter. Um, cause you're not going to be able to get the results without a little bit of vomit. Um, but what you intend, if I understand this correctly, what you intend to put out is 100% yourself. It's not going to be scripted. Well, no. I mean, it might be scripted, but not scripted as in it's not you. And that's also another thing that I, what, you know, when I was creating this show was, you know, you watch shows like Pawn Stars and, you know, whatever. This is so scripted, it hurts. Like, you know, they've, got, they've gone out deliberately to find certain um, paraphernalia to bring into the, the pawn store. And um, uh, it's not real. It's, it's everything's a setup and uh, this is going to be void of any setups. It's just literally I wake up, my eyes open and you will follow me through my day. Mm -hmm. um, and then the setup will be that I'm going to go to France and I'm going to fence with the gold medalist woman who's from France. Obviously we're going to have to call ahead, you know, yeah. you know, bonjour, hello. We want to come in and talk about fencing. Um, so, but when we get there, that's whatever happens will be real. Yeah. You getting stabbed in the shoulder yeah. won't be scripted, right? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want it to be as, uh, God, I don't want to say this as real as possible. Um, but yeah, just, just, that's it. Just fat man fit. And I think that's, that's a brilliant idea because reality TV nowadays, and I don't even watch it, but whatever I've seen over the past few years is just... Like you said, it's so painfully scripted oh. and it's unbearably yeah. fake. Especially when they get a tow truck driver to read lines. Like it's a tow truck show and they're like getting this guy to read lines and they're creating these these riffs between one tow truck driver and another tow truck driver that doesn't exist. Well, um, that's editing, right? There's no rift in real life. It's just yeah, the editing. Yeah, it's just right? editing. But, the, yeah. but sometimes they, you know, because I've, I've worked in the industry and I know we, they... They, they push the riff. Mm -hmm. They're like, can you guys hate each other a little more? They're like, oh, but we like each other. I know, but for the camera, can you hate each other a little more? Yeah, and then you put some dramatic music and right. some smash cut, and then you get right. there. It's like, fuck off. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. But people watch it, and if people are going to watch it, then go ahead, do your thing. I really don't care. I don't watch it, but, uh, well, obviously I do watch it because I, I, I'm talking about it. But, um, but I watch it very briefly, and then I scratch my head and go, yeah, no. This is not a real, it's not real, mm -hmm. you know, so. Um, so let's talk about your other projects, mm -hmm. um, some children-related project. Yeah. Can you tell That's, us a little more about that? Uh, basically where I, I do a lot of voiceovers. I don't know if anybody can gather that with my uh, incredibly sexy voice, but uh, uh, I do a lot of uh, voiceovers. And um, I, with doing that, I had... I said, well, why don't I read children's books? And um, so I went over to a friend of mine's house, and she's got a couple kids, and I said, I want to read a couple of stories to your kids. And she's like, ah, go ahead. And I started reading some stories, and uh, I guess the boy has uh, got a bit of attention deficit disorder, and I started reading, and uh, I was two books in, just children's books, not very long. Uh, he did not move a muscle. 
And uh, the mother, my friend, she's like, I can't believe it. I was doing the dishes, and now I'm sitting here listening to you read children's books. Uh, she said, I think you might be on to something. And uh, so I said, well, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we do something for like YouTube or... Um, so we looked around and there's, there's, there's people reading books, but, um, I don't think they have my uh, skill set, which is, uh, amazing. Um, so we, uh, we did a few books and, uh, basically created this character called Lullaby Lumberjack. And, uh, cause I look like a lumberjack. I actually look like a lumberjack right now. Cause I have a lumberjack jacket on lumberjack, jack jacket on. Um, so yeah, I read children's books. Um, I do a lot of voices, a lot of, uh, accents, um, so uh, I put a lot of, uh, and obviously physically, um, I've had a lot of big facial expressions. And uh, so, yeah, we shot a few of them, and uh, they look great. And uh, that's kind of another project that I'm working on right now. And uh, so we'll see where that gets us. Is that something that's um, available for consumption yet? No, not yet. No. <clears throat> not yet, but it's filmed. It's, on, it's in the can, as they say. So it's going to be videos? Yeah, it's videos. Okay, so it's yeah. not just voiceovers? No, no, it's actually an actual video Um like fireside, big wingback chair, um, a lumberjack outfit. Are you smoking a pipe? No pipe. No, I don't. Uh, well, I don't want to. Yeah, that's, that's very upsetting. Um, well, it's funny. And we actually wrote we wrote a song for it as well. And um, a, we got a little banjo, clarinet, and, and ukulele. All the, the mm -hmm. kids, to, you know. So it's uh, it's uh, I read it in a book. Is the name of the uh, song. So mm -hmm. it's. Uh, so it turned out quite quite well as well. So I was, I was quite happy with that. So, yeah. So this is obviously a children's product, right? Yeah, absolutely. So because, uh, you know, not a lot of people, parents have the time to read to their kids and um, don't have the... Uh, Your skill set. My skill set, yeah. My staggering talent. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I've got the voice that can draw the kids in and... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy with the results, um, but I'm just kind of holding off on it right now because of Fat Man Fit. I just kind of want to get that going. Uh, that's kind of my priority right now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Lullaby Lumberjack coming soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Coming soon to a uh, children's iPad near you. So what are the th some of the things that inspire you in life? My mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mother is a beautiful woman. She raised a lot of kids by herself. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was 11. Um, my dad was always in the picture, um, but I don't think they were ever meant to be together. But uh, they had a lot of kids, I'll tell you that right now. So How I've got, uh, uh, it's five of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a big family. I got four sisters, which are, uh, you know, my mother and my sisters are the most important people in the world to me. Um, I uh, I think my eyes are still open because of, uh, of them. Uh, I had some dark moments in my life uh, when I got really, really heavy. I didn't uh, really want to be here any longer, but uh, they were always kind of that light in the darkness. Um, so, uh, yeah, probably the most important person. And, uh, yeah, the one that gives me the inspiration is my mother. Where do you stand in the pecking order? I'm the last. I figured you would be. Yeah, my mom just kept going. She goes, where's the boy? <laughs> Which is funny because when I, when I was... Born, I got really, really, really sick. Uh, I had pyloric stenosis, and uh, they rushed me into surgery. They gave me my last rites. The, 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 the priest came in. I was Catholic at some point in time, but um, the priest came in and gave me my last rites, uh, which was just devastating to my mother. She's like, my God, I worked so hard to get this boy. And uh, 
Um, yeah, so uh, there I was on death's bed. Um, if year, you don't mind me asking what happened then. Year and a half, we went into surgery, and uh, the surgery, which had a 10% uh, uh, success rate, um, thus the uh, last rites, um, mm -hmm. uh, was a success, obviously, because, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Because you're here. I'm here. That's great. I'm alive. And so outside of your family, are there people or things or that you do that inspire you or do you or if you want to put another way do you have mentors or idols that people are really just um, get you get you going right yeah um i i, I don't know i there's, i mean there's a lot I, i get inspiration from a lot a lot of people um from Dwayne johnson uh i think he's a very inspirational person uh You definitely give you an understanding of what uh, what it is to be successful, and that's uh, that's the grind. You got to grind it and grind to Kevin Hart, um, another person that I uh, I, uh, I can definitely take some inspiration from. Um, What's about Kevin Hart that you find inspiring? Just his grind, um, and just he's they've got the fingers in so many things, right? I mean, I'm 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 a I'm obviously a small fish in that whole grind i mean i've got lullaby lumberjack and fat man fit and my my comedy but i have other ideas um i love clothing and stuff like that so uh uh yeah and that's kevin hart's got his own underwear line he's got uh he's got uh, i didn't couple know that of, yeah he's What's got that his cold you know what i don't know it off my heart um we could google that but uh yeah uh, can, jo uh, yeah i can't remember it it's, it's it's like a guy's name doesn't have his name in it does no it, it doesn't actually funny enough no um And of course, The Rock has his thing with Under Armour, and yeah, maybe one day Fat Man Fit will have something with Adidas. I'll be making, uh, you know, Adidas will be making my own tracksuits. You hear that, Adidas? Yeah, I, I, I'll be the first one to buy one because those are sweet. If oh, they're yes. anything like the ones you're wearing, yeah. Um, yeah. So inspiration is is really everywhere. I, I I get I get very inspired by chefs. I think chefs are amazing. Chefs know so much about everything, like. Especially international chefs. I'm not talking about the guy cooking the burger around the corner, but uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever watch Chef's Table, man. Those people are they're well traveled, well spoken. They know about everything, and that's uh, yeah, that that's an, an inspiration for why, sure. Why do you think that is? I just because food just comes from so many places mm -hmm. uh, geographically, so many cultures, so many. So as you learn about the food, you learn about the culture, you learn about. Uh, the history of that culture and uh and uh yeah man you ever watch chef's table uh, that is a uh, that's a dynamite show no i haven't maybe you gotta watch it netflix baby netflix original oh, it's on netflix? yeah it's on netflix yeah what's a netflix original so I, as i aspire to have my own netflix once, original once i'm done uh uh with my uh star trek bender maybe i'll do there that. you go there you go i never really got into star trek Um, I never really got to do a lot of uh, a lot of shows like The Simpsons and Seinfeld and and uh, Sopranos because I was actually working as a camera guy and when you work as a camera guy it's usually about 18 hour days so you really don't have any time for television it's mm -hmm. just kind of one day after another um, yeah and you just get up go to work come home and go to sleep boom. right and then Sunday afternoon is your only kind of like full full day off um, and that's you go get some brunch but you're back in bed at you know, 10 o'clock to get up at four o'clock and do it all over again for the week. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I never really got to watch any television. So how has that um, <coughs> movie industry experience influenced you? Like what, because you've been doing that for a long time, right? Yeah, I did it for about 17 years. Um, 
And when you say camera guy, you're talking about uh, DOP or camera operator? Uh, well, yeah, I was, I was, I, I shot stuff, uh, which would be um, uh, DOP. Mm-hmm. DOP is uh, director of photography. Um, but I was primarily a what they call a focus puller, which would be the first uh, assistant camera. Um, but yeah, I did hundreds of music videos from David Bowie to the Cranberries to to Wyclef Jean. Um, that's the first time I'd ever met uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Um, and then... Uh, At, on a Wyclef video? Yeah, Wyclef Jean video. It doesn't matter. So you've uh, met Johnson? Yeah, a few times. Within a year, it's funny, he said to me one time, he goes, uh, he goes wow, you really get around, man. Uh, because I did a whole bunch of WWE, WWF uh, vignettes when they used to shoot these live action things. Um, in as a camera guy, yeah, in yeah. Toronto we shot, uh, we shot. Um, uh, there was a, a riff between I think the Undertaker and uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So and, that was in his wrestling days. Yeah, back in his wrestling days. So, uh, but but when you're a camera guy like I was, it's it's all um, uh, freelance. You know, people call you. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, yeah. you want to do a Mastercard commercial next week? Um, are you available to do a video next week? Are you available to do a short film next week? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was freelance. Um, I was in the union for many years, um, but I I got into short format, long format as movie, short format as videos and, and commercials, and I liked the kind of the quickness of that, where mm-hmm. you weren't ever really um, stuck with people you didn't like, and uh, also creatively, uh, there was always. Uh, something fresh, you know, mm-hmm. whether you be shooting in a museum or you're shooting on top of the CN Tower. I remember one time we were shooting an Ontario tourism commercial uh, and we got to go to the top, top, tippity, tippity top of the CN Tower and unfurl the Canadian flag, which does not happen. It doesn't, it, but it was for Ontario tourism and it was, you know, and uh, we had to go to the top like a, it was like a submarine. You opened the hatch and out out this uh, this rigging grip went and uh, he unfurled the uh, flag and I had to hold the camera and uh, yeah, it was kind of so cool. So you're talking the top of the antenna or the top of the higher pod? No, the absolute tip, tip top, so the, the antenna, yeah. 500 and something meters yeah, in the air. Yeah, wow, yeah. that must be scary. Yeah, but uh, stuff like that, like it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. The stuff we got to do, the stuff we got to meet, mm-hmm. um, places we got to go. Is there a relation between your career as a camera guy and what you want to do with Fat Men Fit? Uh, I definitely in a relationship because I, I mean this 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 sizzle this reel that you just saw this this uh, sizzler sizzler, yeah. um, I pretty well shot all myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so which yeah. looks fantastic, by yeah. the way. I mean, I mean so it's wonderful. not super polished, but it's it's very very fucking compelling. I mean, yeah, it's a three so minute I, I video. shot all that all, yeah. all that myself. So obviously that. That uh, ability as a camera guy came into play. Um, that skill set again uh, came into play. And does it does it influence how you think about the program? Uh, yeah, it definitely thinks uh, you know plays plays a role because it's it's what uh, you know it's how I think. How am I going to capture this? Mm-hmm. What angle? How many angles? Mm-hmm. Um, low, high, far. So you could be your own director if that show comes along. Yeah, right? you know, I was I. I put a director's reel together at one point in my life. Um, when you put a director's reel together, you basically, like a painter, have to uh, paint uh, and create a portfolio. So you mm-hmm. can go, hey, look, I painted this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. So as a director, I did a whole bunch of uh, uh, commercials. 
fake commercials. They're called spec spots mm-hmm. um, for Budweiser, Nike. Um, and uh, funny enough, I actually did a commercial for uh, Nike. Uh, and it, it was kind of Fat Man Fit-esque because I shot it for about two years and I lost about 163 pounds. So you, I lost 163 pounds in 60 seconds because it was a commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as as all the seasons pass, so it's nighttime, it's daytime, it's raining, it's snowing, It's I shot this commercial. And uh, so it starts off with me at the bottom of the uh, hill. I got my head shaved and I'm very fat. And as we proceed up the stairs, my hair grows past my shoulders and I obviously am a whole lot thinner. And I stop at the to- top of the stairs reflectively looking off into space and as we push the camera into my black t-shirt which creates a thing called a wipe letters come across the screen and the letters uh say life only has one finish line which we know what that finish line is is death Mm -hmm. and as we push back out we reveal myself with my head shaved bald at the bottom of the stairs again Mm -hmm. but a whole lot thinner than 60 seconds earlier Mm -hmm. and uh so that was one of my things I'd put together to become a director. Um, I never became a director. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. I want to see that video now. Yeah. What do you do outside of work? Like, Or what do you do for fun? Do you have hobbies? Uh, we, we talked a, b- a little bit about inspirations, but what uh, what are the things you enjoy doing that might not be like professionally related? Or? Anything, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody has something up for offer, trampolining, I... I rock climbing, um, going to see uh, concerts. I love, I love all kinds of music. Um, and if you, if I gave you a list of what I saw last year, you'd be like, wow, that's, uh, there's nothing uh, from Arcade Fire to Slipknot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody knows about Slipknot, but uh, they're a pretty heavy, hardcore band. Um, Die Antwerp, um, uh, Pointer Sisters I saw last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I so love you, music. You like music? Yeah, yeah, apparently I read somewhere in Psychology Today um, uh, that if you the more live concerts you see, uh, you take time off your, your life, apparently. So I'm like, okay, cool. You take time off? Yeah, yeah. So it you adds, shorten your life? No, it, oh, sorry, my bad. It adds time to your... Add, time. Add, add years to your life. So yeah, what's, the, what's the thinking behind it? What I does don't it know. Do? What's the thinking behind any of those claims but whatever i i love i love seeing live concerts i think they're awesome and the closer i can get to the stage the better yeah so yeah i i, I like music too but i find concerts sometimes to be too loud and it's yeah. it's, it's messing my yeah sensible ears you know a couple of weeks ago oh that must have been fun yeah. and that's another thing about what i was saying earlier about being alone and being curious and so i think i think I think a majority of people don't like to do things alone. They don't like to go places alone, and, and I'm the opposite. If I, I prefer to go alone because I'm going to get a better seat you know, <laughs> from a scalper because mm-hmm. there's always going to be that scalper that's got that one ticket that he's going to get fucked with, and uh, he wants to let it go. The concert, you can hear the music starting, and he's like, oh, he's in a panic, and you get the ticket for nothing. You go in there, and you are right in front of the stage. Um, I don't I don't generally like to see big venue concerts, Um Unless I'm standing right at the stage, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's a point for me. I can't speak for anybody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if I'm uh, up in the nosebleeds, like what? Why? Why am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? It's like going to see a hockey game. It's like I, I, I could see this on HD at home with multiple camera coverage. Like, uh, like why would I? Why would I want to go see? And I'm a big fellow too, as we've already mentioned. Um, and I don't really don't fit the seats. Mm-hmm. So um, generally, I like to be standing. 
Uh, so you really can't stand at a hockey game. Uh, so yeah, so I like to be nice and close, and I like to be standing, and I like to dance. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What's your uh, what would be your favorite venue for music? My, my most favorite venue I've ever been to, I saw Depeche Mode at the Hollywood Bowl. That was that was by far like nothing's everything is like the sound was just incredible, mm -hmm. and of course the iconic iconicness of the Hollywood Bowl is. Uh, was was impressive, you know, and because uh, it is what it is, the Hollywood Bowl. I haven't had a chance to go, but I've read a lot about it. It seems mm -hmm. like a really sick. Yeah, venue. it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people play there, but not 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 as many as you would think. If you look at the list of who's playing there, it's like hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Depeche Mode was the first band to sell out three or four concerts, sorry, at Hollywood Bowl in the oh, history wow. of Hollywood Bowl, four nights in a row. So when was that? Actually, it wasn't four nights in a row. It was, it was night on, night off, night on, night off, night on, night off. Uh, that was last year, October. Yeah. Oh, so it was recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know Depeche Mode was still around. So, <laughs> oh, they're still around. They're... I remember them from I was like, oh, from yeah. when I was oh, like six still, years old in the eighties. Yeah, but, yeah they're still know. they're still pretty. They're still big. Yeah, they're still big. Yeah. Well, Very there's big. something about eighties music. And, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't. I mean, they have they have a new album coming out every couple of years, so it's not really '80s music per se. Um, obviously, they play some of their old songs, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, they'd probably be one of my favorite bands for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're getting closer to the end of the, of the interview, but I have a couple more questions for you, maybe a little oh, bit more certainly. serious. Yes, um, but you serious. don't have to take them seriously. Um, it's hard for me to be serious. I want to talk about failure. Oh, what yes. What would be your biggest failure? Biggest failure? My biggest failure by far uh, is uh, the time I've let pass. Um, when I initially started doing stand-up comedy, I I failed myself when I walked away um, or didn't give it the full, full, the full, full effort. I let, I let self-doubt run the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's when I got to do uh, the film industry. I think that's probably my yeah, probably my biggest failure for sure. It's but uh, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't do that. So it's you know, what's the lesson in that failure? I think the lesson would be just like a pit bull locks onto something, just lock onto it. Don't let fucking go. Mm -hmm. Just lock onto that tire. Lock onto that tire's wing. I'm sure we've all seen pictures of uh, uh, of a pit bull locking onto a swinging tire. It's pretty impressive. And I didn't, I didn't, I I, I don't even think I ever got my teeth into it. Really, I, I I think I maybe jumped at it and then got scared of the swinging swing and ran for cover. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely would be. I mean, my advice and 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 also telling you about my failure. Uh, yeah, it's just lock lock into something, man. So are, are you more of a pit bull now? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely a pit bull. Um, and that's a kind of a corollary to the failure conversation. What's the biggest risk you would have ever taken? Biggest risk I ever took? Mm -hmm. um, you know what? I don't. I don't think I've taken my biggest risk yet. I really don't. Because um, risk is still a little bit foreign to me. You know, everything's kind of safe. Uh, yeah. I think my biggest uh, risk is coming really soon. Fat man fit? Uh, yeah, and how I'm going to approach that with no safety net. Um, just kind of going to throw myself in because I, I, yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, 
Nobody, nobody, nobody other than yourself cares about you. You're the only person that can care about yourself uh, 100%. Mm -hmm. Your mom loves you. Your sisters love you. But they got mortgages. They've got houses. They've got kids. They've got other shit to do. They've got dogs yeah. to walk. They've got, you know, mm -hmm. you know they, they got to think about what they're having for, for, for lunch. They, they, they can't possibly mm -hmm. care about you as much as you care about yourself and have to care about yourself. Um, and I think that's kind of my mantra. It's like, it's just all about you, man. You, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're the only one that can do this. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And, uh, yeah, I've just come to that. And so you said something about no safety net. I think it's interesting because when you don't have a safety net, it's do or die, right? Yeah. It's either think, who, who said, I think it might be Tony Robbins or who's that, uh, who's this, the motivational speaker? Is it Tony Robbins? It's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Robbins. So he said, you know, the best thing that you can do if you're invading, and I think he was quoting someone else, is 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 when you get to the island that you're invading, you burn your boats. Yeah. So there is no turning back. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I never burned my boat. I always kept the engine running, and uh, always ran back to my boat and split when there was any any. Yeah. I was so always what's a bit of a the pussy. what's the burning of your boat for you? What does that look like? terrifying man it's terrifying but it's uh i realize now you know some people say late in the game but i i'm just like you know success can come at any time in the game and i'm just uh yeah uh colonel sanders yeah he became successful like at the end of his life i mean there's yeah. many examples of people yeah, that absolutely uh toiled just kind of give up it's like what's oh, somebody said the other day are we are we too old or do we do we get old and stop playing or do we Does getting, oh God, I wish I could remember So that one of my mentors actually, he says many very brilliant things, but one of the things he says is people start life, maybe they go to school, get a job, and then they fall into a little groove and then becomes comfortable. Yeah. And then they stop learning and yeah, then they kind of sl slowly die off. Yeah. Right? I, I like, I like being comfortable. I like, I think 99% of people, because I think the, the number is like, Point zero 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 one percent are the people that are creative, and then everybody's just kind of following. And uh, yeah, so where do you think you're falling on that spectrum? I'm definitely a follower, but I'm just like this creative person trapped in a follower. And uh, I think I'm just now shedding mm -hmm. the, the 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 shedding the, the bullshit, the bullshit, and that you know I, I'm the the yeah I'm shedding that. Uh, that frock of uh of mediocrity you know yeah. i don't uh you know because i'm definitely uh definitely hanging from a rope of mediocrity for sure and it and it breaks my heart because i'm not a mediocre person at all as i've been told um again and again and again i mean i don't know how many times somebody has to be told that they're amazing and not act on it and um and the 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 variation of people that tell me that i'm a special person uh is is yeah it's pretty staggering and you just don't listen to them you don't listen to them but you know i started listening i started listening and well, now uh we're, we're all making... our own worst critic right oh man but it's funny to hear you say that because earlier in the interview you said you like to be uncomfortable you like yeah. to put yourself out there so how do you re reconcile it too yeah well i mean it's it's it's, it's that uh, it's that being uncomfortable on my terms you know mm -hmm. like that like i'm gonna you know, make this scooter, it's going to be gold, it's going to be leopard, it's going to be, you know, there's, there's that, 
that fun aspect of being uncomfortable. I mm-hmm. like it's just it's fun for me. Mm-hmm. But the big, big, big picture where the where the meat is, the the the, the success. Mm-hmm. That's what makes that's like that level, right? Because I can just go, yeah, look at the scooter that I made. It's like, okay, well, where's your Netflix stand-up special? Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of work to get there. This I can just go, yeah, look at me, I'm different. Yeah, look at me, I'm I'm artistic, or I'm I'm you know I'm I'm I don't care what people think. And, uh, and you got to deal with this shit because um, success is something that's terrifying, and I'm I've been yeah. terrified by. I think I know a lot of people who. I've seen a lot of people who self-sabotage because they get to the point where they're on the verge of success and whatever success looks like, everybody has their own definition. It doesn't really matter what it is, but assume that for you, it's like getting your fat man fit on Netflix. That's your, one of your measures of success. And for me, it would be something else. And I think we have a tendency to like, when we're on the verge of getting there, it's very easy to self-sabotage and just throw it all out. Yeah. And and the successful people are the ones who like keep that pit bull mindset. It's like I'm yeah. not letting go no matter what. Yeah. It's like really Jim Carrey hard. Came, I think Jim Carrey came out of the gate like you know, he always had that pit bull mentality. Like it was, you know, when he moved to LA when he was eighteen or whatever, it was he he didn't let the terror, you yeah. know, have him run. He just looked at, you know, me, I was like, ah, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And I ran. And I'd be hiding. And it's because it's just so easy to hide, you know, and you come out with these little flurries of, uh, of, uh, you know, uncomfortable, um, but you run back to the safe place. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I learned from that, how upsetting me running back to that safe place. That's where I learned from. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you really going to just keep doing this? Yeah. Just keep running back to the yeah. safe little, you know, yeah. oh, I feel comfortable here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's what's allowed me to, to because it was that pressure, you know, because I acknowledge that every day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh, so what are you going to do today? Oh, nothing. Oh, okay, cool. It just became too much. I'm like, oh, uh, like, like how many, how many people have to tell you how, how much, how many things do you have to do that you see like a glimmer of success and then you just, you know, turn your back on it. You kibosh it. You, you know, that's that self doubt or you, you know, you're, you're preaching to all the, of those the choir, things. Right? Yeah. You know? I, you know, we all experience yeah. that as creatives. I think especially creatives experience that all the time. Yeah. Self doubt. So uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's that pressure, that pressure a, that I put on myself that I've created with, with the failings. There's a saying I go back to that's so compelling. It's like doubt kills a warrior. If yeah. you start doubting yourself, you're not going to, you know, if you're back in the day when people fought with like swords and bows and there was like real pain. And yeah. if you doubt it yourself, you get killed. Yeah, right. for sure. You'd take right. an arrow in the heart and you'd be done. Done. So uh, I think there's a lot of um, value into learning how to overcome doubt. So how do yeah. you kick your own ass? And you get up in the morning and say, "Today." It lit, it lit, it, lit, it, it, it just like the mediocrity, as I was just saying. Mm-hmm. It 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 gets it's get it gets weighty. Mm-hmm. It, it's it just piles on and piles on and piles on. It's just like because you know you know that you're not a mediocre person. You mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know I'm talking about myself, obviously, but I, I, I just look at all these amazing little little flourishes of 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 genius, of 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 creativity, of of um, 
you know, whether it be that mirror that I made or that chair that I painted or that, you know, that, that joke that I wrote and, um, what, just those little, but mm. I, I need to, it's, why well, I, it's this, you know what, it's like, it's like my comedy and my genius are horses mm-hmm. and, uh, they're running wild and I've got a, I've got a, a buggy, you know, like a carriage, but I need to get all those horses, you know, sat, bridled up mm-hmm. and, um, and, and get them all running together, you know? Yeah. Cause I got all the horses. I own all the horses. So you're going to tame, tame them. Right? Yeah. Like I got all the, all the creative horses. I just, you know, I just need to get them all bridled up and, uh, and running together and, and, uh, yeah, I've got them corralled now and, uh, I just need to get the bridles on and, uh, and we're going to run, we're going to run and run. That's very cool. So we can actually kind of close the conversation on right, that. I have right. one more, two more questions. Two more questions. The first one is a little bit of a visioning exercise. So yeah. um, picture yourself on your deathbed, and I sincerely hope it's many, many years from now. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. Yeah. What's the legacy you would like to leave at that point? You look back at your life, and you've accomplished everything you wanted. Well, what the, does that look like? The one thing that I that is always like, and it, it, it is I listen to a song from like 1962 or 1978, and I think, wow, that person's no longer here mm-hmm. but yet i'm still listening to that person mm-hmm. um i watch a movie on turner classic movie and i think wow orson wells he does not exist physically anymore but he still exists i would love to leave something like that mm-hmm. uh a show uh a song uh lullaby lumberjack mm-hmm. you know kids are listening to my lullaby lumberjack stories 100 years from now Mm-hmm. Nobody ever did it like lumber, lullaby lumberjack, lullaby lumberjack. Um, yeah, I would love to, to to have something like that, a legacy it's, like that. Because it just really, it just, it just really blows my mind um, that Alfred Hitchcock. I'm still saying his name. I just said it. Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why am I still dead for what fifty years? Right. Or yeah. It's uh, that. I think that's definitely an inspiration for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and again, that plays on the mediocrity, uh, and that's you know being mediocre for me has now become too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much. I, wow. I, I can't breathe um, mm-hmm. from the weight of mediocrity anymore. And uh, and I feel uh, yeah, I feel like uh, as cheesy as it is, you know, I, I like a caterpillar I'm about to be a butterfly, and uh, yeah, I'm just breaking out of that that. Uh, cocoon of, of mediocrity mm-hmm. so yeah that's a that's a beautiful metaphor it's nice hey so speaking of butterflies, yeah, uh, and butterflies. that's the last question it's more it's meant to be a little more lighthearted. Yeah. stones or beetles oh yeah. beetles by far yeah oh yeah for sure yeah definitely because they're just you know something more whimsical and and something more up my alley with the beetles um you know, I, I can't take anything away from the stones, but there's just something more creative and colorful and whimsical and and uh, meaningful in, in their songs and their music. Uh, something that resonates with me more than the Rolling Stones would. Yeah, there's no wrong answer to that question. Nah. But I, uh, it's always yeah, it's not like I don't listen it. to the Rolling Stones. I listen to the Rolling Stones, but I also listen to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I think this was uh, one of my favorite interviews so far yeah. because I really appreciate the how you just put it all on the table. The candor. Yeah. Oh, 
that's what I'm looking for. Candor, so yes, thanks for that. Absolutely. That's one thing I'm good at. That's one thing I'm good at. I'm like, this is me, man. This is who I am. Well, here's the deal. Yeah. Um, once Fat Man Fit is on TV, yeah. we can do the follow-up interview. There you go. And, and yeah. I want to ask you about all the crazy fucking stories that all came right, out of that all show. Right. Sounds good. Well, you got a deal. Um, yeah, like I said, this is uh, the first time ever uh, uh, Liam Gadsby um, has done a podcast. So there you go. Hopefully the first of many. Thanks again, man. Absolutely. You got it, brother. Peace. Hey again, Arno here. If you like this interview, be sure to give us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode was produced by Revelator Studio, edited by Ryan Akhtari, with music by Bounce Trio. To be notified of upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Revelator underscore TO, or sign up for our newsletter on our website at rvltr.studio. Keep on supporting creativity and never stop kicking fear in the nuts. Till next time, ciao.